You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you. We've got a bunch to talk about here today on the podcast. The Bills practiced on Thursday. We need to get into the standouts from that. Heath Farwell, the team's special teams coordinator, met with the media. And anytime the special team coordinator meets with the media during camp, it's always interesting because as we try to forecast and figure out who's going to make this roster, we know that special teams is always a critical part of that equation. So getting his comments on who is impressing him to this point gives us some clues about who could be those last few guys on the roster. I do want to talk about the latest signing of the Buffalo Bills, an offensive lineman, Caleb Beninock. And then lastly, Matt Barkley, the Bills' former backup quarterback, has signed with a new team, and I want to share some thoughts on that. So let's start with practice on Thursday and, of course, the participation Wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders missed practice with a foot injury. Offensive lineman Forrest Lamp, he missed practice with a calf injury. And running back Christian Wade had a shoulder injury. So Lamp and Sanders, they didn't practice at all. Wade left early. Now on the good news side of things, offensive lineman Ike Bakker is back from the COVID list, and he practiced on Thursday. Jacob Hollister, the Bills tight end, he dressed on Thursday and did some individual work but didn't participate in team drills. But it's certainly good to see him back in uniform and uh, working his way back into the lineup. As we know, Jerry Hughes is out with a calf strain and Deion Dawkins is still in the COVID protocol. So the big storyline from the practice on Thursday, from all the reports that you'll read, Jake Kumaro, Sal Capaccio, said it was a personal highlight reel. Matt Perino said it was a superstar-like practice. Evidently, he beat Trey White a couple of times in one-on-ones. He had two big catches in 11-on-11 work, both coming from Mitchell Trubisky. And Joe Biscaglia of The Athletic came out and said, quote, based on his usage and performance, Jake Kumaro is most certainly ahead of Isaiah Hodgins and Marquez Stevenson at this point. I mean, this guy is just really making waves at training camp. And I get excited about it because when you talk about the bottom of the depth chart at wide receiver, this is what you want. You want the special teams ability, the size, the versatility, physicality. I mean, he gives you all of those dynamics. And so I'm starting to wonder if it's not so much a question of if he's going to be the sixth receiver or the seventh receiver. Can he eat into Gabriel Davis's playing time? I mean, a lot needs to play out. Preseason will be important. Brian Dable has said that. But my goodness, the reports have just been overwhelmingly great for Jake Kumaro. And you couple that with the way Aaron Rodgers felt about him in Green Bay. And we should be pretty excited about what we're hearing from practice regarding Jake Kumaro and obviously anxious to see what he looks like in games. Now, it was interesting to note that Jake Kumro didn't catch any passes from Josh Allen in teamwork. They all came from Mitchell Trubisky, but those two 
completions and one-on-ones against Trey White, they did come courtesy of the right arm of Josh Allen. Moving on from the Jake Kumro portion of the podcast, which it seems like we have every day, Sal Capaccio of WGR 550, he praised Tremaine Edmonds for his work in coverage, said he had a pass breakup and an interception. And Matt Perino was also complimentary of how Tremaine looked in practice on Thursday as well. So it's good to hear a player that the Bills are relying on to be the quarterback of the defense performed well. And it's kind of been quiet when it comes to Tremaine Edmonds and how he's looked. And so um, our first real positive all-around performance of camp was highlighted on Thursday by Capaccio and Perino. Sal Capaccio also said that this was Dane Jackson's best day of camp, but he conceded that he has been too up and down so far to this point. Matt Perino agreed that this was Dane Jackson's best day of training camp so far. Also, it sounds like Dawson Knox had a drop, a a would-be touchdown on Thursday, but Sal Capaccio, before he discussed the drop, he did say that Dawson Knox has been very consistent catching the football through the first week of camp, but he did have a drop on a would-be touchdown during Thursday's session. A few other quick-hitting items. Marquez Stevenson had a drop in teamwork, which is concerning because that was an issue for him at Houston. Uh, Joe B., Matt Perino, and Sal Capaccio all had positive remarks regarding how reserve linebacker Joe Giles Harris performed on Thursday. He had several splash plays, a pass breakup, an interception, and a fumble recovery. I don't think Joe Giles Harris has much of a path to the roster, but he is certainly a practice squad candidate. Now, a couple things that came from Joe B. that I want to mention. He continues to praise how F.A. Obata has performed. He said Daryl Johnson had a good day. And he also said that Carlos Basham is fading a bit. And it feels like Basham was a hot name coming out of OTAs and I guess early in camp, he had the big interception that he tipped to himself and returned it for a touchdown. But the reports are now that he's fading a bit, and Joe B. even went as far as to say that Gregory Rousseau and A.J. Epinesa have outplayed him to this point. And so, you know, I think with Basham, that's not unexpected to me. I think as he gets more opportunities to move inside on long and late downs and set the edge as a run defender, on early downs, that's where you're going to see the impact. And sometimes it doesn't always show up in the form of making tackles, but it's how he fits the run. It's how he can apply heat on the interior. So there's no reason to panic on Basham. I think he'll do very well in game scenarios during the preseason. But Joe B. did make a point of his fading performance in his column on Thursday. And I guess the positive spin on that is – it sounds like Gregory Rousseau and A.J. Epinesa continue to play very well. Joe B. also complimented Ryan Bates and said he is having a strong camp, and Spencer Brown's up-and-down camp continues. And look, I mean, that's not going to be fixed overnight. I think Spencer Brown needs a lot of reps. I think preseason games are going to be very valuable for him, and he's going to continue to get coached through this. And again, it's about his traits, his length, his size his mobility, his foot speed, his power, his temperament. And it's taking all of those positive traits and blending them together to maximize what he can do on the football field. The Bills bet on themselves to be able to get the most out of him. 
I mean, it's widely accepted that he is a raw prospect coming out of Northern Iowa. Didn't even play last season because the Northern Iowa football schedule was canceled. He was a tight end in high school playing eight-man football. I mean, there's some work that's going to be required here. So I'm not panicking. It's unsurprising to me that he's up and down, and it's always been the case that this was a gamble by the Bills to bet on themselves to believe they can maximize what he brings to the table physically and turn that into consistency on the field. Did you know that Built Bar has so many amazing flavors? They have coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, and cookies and cream. They're all delicious, and the thing is, they're healthy too. Check out these macros. 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories range from 130 to 180. There's only 4 to 5 grams of sugar and only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. They are amazing in terms of taste, but they are very healthy as well. And, oh, by the way, Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. If you want to try Built Bars, I got a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. So let's get into the notable takeaways from Special teams coordinator Heath Farwell's media availability on Thursday. And folks, I really enjoyed listening to Coach Farwell and what he had to say about the punting situation and the return situation and his core special teamers and so many of the dynamics that exist for these special teams. He was pretty candid about them, and I thought the questions were really, really good. So let's talk about those meaningful takeaways. And like I said in the opening, when Heath Farwell hits the podium during training camp, there's a lot to glean because the players he mentions are the ones that he's going to go to bat for when it comes to final roster cuts because he's, he wants to keep these guys around to help his special teams. And so there's some meaningful stuff to get into. But obviously the conversation began with, I think, the most pressing issue as it relates to the Bills special teams, and that is the return situation. And Heath Farwell said that Isaiah McKenzie is in the number one spot right now. He's a guy that I have to drag off the field every day after practice. He's working really, really hard, and he's in the driver's seat. He also mentioned that they have two really good returners behind him, and it's making for a good competition. Mentioned that Brandon Powell has done it in the league and that Marquez Stevenson has come a long way since he's gotten to the team, and he needs to see how they fare in game situations. On Isaiah McKenzie further, he said he has to believe in himself. He has the physical part of it. He has to get the right mindset. Right now, he feels confident in himself. He has to focus on fielding the ball cleanly because he's talented with the ball in his hands. So look, I mean, it's the same stuff we've been talking about. We know he's good with the ball in his hands, but can he field the football cleanly? It sounds like he's working really, really hard to get that familiarity down, that time on task, those repetitions down, so that in game situations – Fielding a punt is second nature to him. So you'll love to hear that he's doing the work. Now, obviously, it has to translate to the field, and we need to see consistency, but I'm encouraged by the work ethic and amount of time that he's putting into getting this down. And, you know, Isaiah McKenzie spoke to the media as well on Thursday, and he sounds like a man on a mission, right? Like he wants to shed that gadget label and show that he's more than that. He can help the offense even more, and obviously embracing this opportunity to be the Bills' lead return guy. 
So another question that Heath Farwell was asked about that I thought was very interesting, it was about having a different punt and kick returner or if they wanted to have one guy handle both responsibilities. And we've talked about the value of Andre Roberts, and because he can do both, it made him even more valuable to go with his elite ability to serve as a return guy and produce yards and obviously make great decisions and take care of the football. But Heath Farwell said, it depends on how the roster plays out, but we would love to have one guy do both. We're open to having one for each, though. So they're willing to do it. The Bills might have a different punt than they do kick returner, but he did specifically say they would love to have one guy do both. On Matt Hawk, Heath Farwell started out by saying that he's rooting for Corey Borges and mentioning that this is the business aspect of it. He said Matt Hawk was the number one guy on his list to go get, called him talented, said he has a big leg, he has good control, said he's meshed well with the core guys, called him a very, 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 very good holder, and said he's going to be a great caddy for Tyler Bass because he will help him with his shot, and said Hawk has a great understanding for wins and understands the kicking game, and said to this point Matt has been exceptional and has exceeded expectations. So, look, I'm not fully convinced that Hawk is going to be the answer at punter. He's been inconsistent to this point in his NFL career, but you wouldn't believe that if you heard Heath Farwell talk about Matt Hawk on Thursday. It sounds like he's come in and done very, very well, and and I really appreciate the comments that he made about him as a holder and developing that consistency with Tyler Bass and how he believes that Hawk can be an asset to Bass in terms of consistency and you know having the right approach and being able to talk through kicks and understanding the wind and kicking game dynamics. And you saw that happen in Miami with Jason Sanders, who came into the NFL a very inconsistent kicker in college and had some struggles early in his career, but developed into an automatic kicker last year. I think he was an all-pro kicker, and he deserved it. So we've seen the impact that Matt Hawk can have on a kicker. And it's not like Tyler Bass had a bad year. He had a good year last year. And so, you know, maybe there's a concession to be made in the punting game, but the value really comes in in terms of what he can mean for Tyler Bass and consistency as the team's place kicker. On Tyler Bass, Heath Farwell said, I love what he's about. His mindset is unbelievable. He wants to improve, and he's super competitive. He finished the season great last year and has been terrific this offseason and said they're expecting a really good year from him. So, look, I don't know why we would think anything different. Tyler Bass really won, I think, everyone over as the season went along. Had a few misses early on, but I think some of that was on Corey Bajorquez for not getting the laces out and not creating the right environment for Tyler Bass to be consistent early on. But as the season progressed, I mean, this guy got better and better, made some big-time kicks down the stretch, long field goals made in the playoffs. I mean, that that uh, Ravens kick, the Colts kick, I mean, this guy really came along and proved that he can handle pressure situations. On not having competition for the kicker or punter spot, this is interesting because I've commented on it. I said, I don't think I've ever seen an NFL team go into camp with no competition at kicker, punter, or long snapper. And the Bills don't have it, right? They don't have a backup or anybody competing with Reed Ferguson, Matt Hawk, or Tyler Bass. And Heath Farwell came out and said, I just trust our guys. We have as good a group as anybody. 
I wanted to focus on continuity, especially with a new holder, and get everyone on the same page and not worry about rotating in anyone. The good groups across the league are super consistent with personnel in the kicking game, and he didn't want the distraction of other guys coming in. So you can tell the team is very intentional about this holder thing and that Hawk being that guy for Tyler Bass, so much so that they said, we don't even want to bring anyone else in to take away reps that would take away from opportunities for us to develop that timing and consistency. So Farwell was quite complimentary of the group of specialists that they have and didn't want to take anything away from them growing together and really maximizing the chemistry that they can create during training camp. Now, on Daryl Johnson, this stuff is really interesting. Coach Farewell was really, really complimentary of Daryl Johnson, who I think we all kind of look at as a roster bubble guy. You know, the Bills would have to keep seven defensive ends most likely if he's going to make the team. But listening to Coach Farwell, it sounds like he's really planning on this guy being around. This is what he said about Daryl Johnson. He said, he's always been great for me. It's rare to get four phases out of a defensive end. It's hard to find. Pre-game, when I talk to other coordinators, he's the first guy they bring up. He's a guy that with his size and speed, he's a mismatch and huge factor they have to account for. He uses his story to inspire younger players and talk about how he's found a home on special teams as a small school guy, late-round draft pick that has bought him time to develop defensively because he's been able to help the team on special teams He also talked about how frequently Daryl Johnson gets double teamed on kickoff because of his size and speed and said the fact that he can hold his ground and anchor against double teams is critical for the way they can attack kicks. And so, (laughs) I mean, that was some glowing praise for Daryl Johnson. I still think he's pretty far down the depth chart on defense. When you consider Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, Gregory Rousseau, A.J. Epinesa, F.A. Obata, Carlos Basham, that's six players right there. Is there room for Daryl Johnson? Will they keep seven and then just three defensive tackles? I don't know. I don't know what the plan is here, but it certainly sounded like Heath Farwell is all in on Daryl Johnson, and um He's been a good special teams player to this point. I've talked about that a lot. We've talked about him as a four-phase guy and how rare that is for a defensive end. And then just hearing Heath Farwell come out and say those things and just light up when talking about this guy, it really leads me to believe that uh, at a minimum, Coach Farwell is going to be going to bat for his guy. Now, it was also interesting that Heath Farwell was asked about which young players in camp he's been impressed with from a special teams perspective. And obviously, you know, the, the, the lead into the question was, hey, we know about Jaquan Johnson and Tyler Medikevich and Taiwan Jones. Who are the young players that are showing up at this point on special teams? And these are the players Coach Farwell mentioned. He said Reggie Gilliam, Quentin Morris. There's that name again. We keep talking about him. Undrafted free agent tight end out of Bowling Green continues to have a good camp and Uh, at least in terms of where the reports are. And then you hear Heath Farwell come out and mention him as a quality contributor to this point on special teams. That is something that we need to continue to monitor very closely. And then he also mentioned the three young corners, Richard Wildgoose, Elijah Griffin, and Nick McLeod. 
and said how they fare as gunners during preseason games will be really, really important. So that is something we need to be paying attention to as the Bills' preseason schedule heats up here in the next week or so. All right, let's close this thing out by talking about the newest Buffalo Bill and Matt Barkley's new team. So the Bills signed an offensive lineman, Caleb Beninock. He's 26 years old, six foot five, 305 pounds, an offensive lineman that can play guard and tackle. Has 34 and an eighth-inch arms, 10-inch hands, ran a 4.98 40-yard dash at the combine with a 1.68 10-yard split. Those are elite numbers. Now he has very average jumps. And his agility tests are awful, below the 10th percentile in the three-cone and the short shuttle. Now, he was originally a fifth-round pick of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in 2016. He actually started all 16 games at right guard for the Buccaneers in 2018. And for his NFL career, he played in 35 games with 22 starts. And throughout his NFL career to this point, he has spent time with the Buccaneers, Cowboys, Panthers, Patriots, and Lions. So he came up with Tampa Bay, turned into a 16-game starter in 2018, and then in 2019 and 2020, this guy bounced around quite a bit, and now he finds himself with the Buffalo Bills. He played his college ball at UCLA, where he started 35 games with time at guard and tackle. So as the Bills have had some injuries at offensive line, whether that's Forrest Lamp or the, the COVID guys in, in Dawkins and Bakker, um, they're interested in bringing in these offensive linemen. I think this is the third different offensive lineman the team has signed since the start of camp. So they are not done finding depth along the offensive line, and the Bills continue to find guys that have experience, right? Like this guy has played in 35 games with 22 starts. This is not foreign to him playing NFL football. So – between Bobby Hart and Jamil Douglas and Forrest Lamp and Jordan Devy and, and now Caleb Beninock. I mean, there is just a lot of experienced reserve offensive linemen on this team, and that is something that Brandon Bean continues to tell us he cares a lot about. So you can always count on him to continue uh, combing through the available offensive linemen all the time, right? It just kind of never stops when it comes to Brandon Bean. Now Matt Barkley has a new team. He signed with the Tennessee Titans. So first of all, I'm obviously happy for him. I think Matt Barkley is somebody that we all really appreciate and respect, and he meant so much for Josh Allen coming in in the middle of his rookie season after the Bills surrounded him with just Nate Peterman to start his NFL career on the roster, and then you know injuries wound up happening. The Bills signed Derek Anderson and Matt Barkley, and then Matt Barkley was a steady presence for Josh Allen for a while, and Brandon Bean straight up said, that Matt Barkley and his wife were a blessing to the organization. And so while I was always nervous about Matt Barkley actually having to play and him being able to keep the offense on schedule or at least keep his head above water, I always liked him as a person. And obviously we're going to very much cherish that video clip of him on the sideline against Pittsburgh when Renegade comes on and he's got his parka you know, twirling it above his head and just like how excited he was to be part of the team. And and you watch him on social media and Instagram and just like truly embracing that role as the backup quarterback and just being a team first guy and just awesome for the locker room. So for all of those reasons, he's going to be missed. And I'm glad that he's got another opportunity in Tennessee. 
Now, obviously, Ryan Tannehill is the starting quarterback there, but the backups in Tennessee at quarterback are pretty underwhelming. I mean, Matt might have a real chance at making this roster. The only other quarterbacks on the roster besides him and Tannehill are Logan Woodside and Deshaun Kaiser. <sighs> Barkley might be better than both. And so I think he went to the perfect spot to give himself a real chance at making a roster and uh, just continuing his run in the NFL. Now, I will say that there's a, a part of me that is a little uneasy about it being Tennessee. You know, Matt's been a part of several game plans that the Bills have crafted against Tennessee. So there's definitely some insight that he can provide that Tennessee coaching staff. You know, I always wonder how much that matters. Um, and I know things change year to year, and it's always does come down to execution. But Matt's been around a little bit, and he knows the intricacies of the, of the Bills offense, and he knows Josh Allen in and out. So, you know, I don't know that he's going to, like, be a difference maker in terms of when the Titans and Bills play, but it is something that at least, at least makes me a little bit uneasy. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. But good for Matt, and obviously we're all rooting for him. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today here on the podcast. My apologies if you heard any background noise. I've actually been on vacation this week, but when I say on vacation, everything but locked on bills. I wasn't going to leave you guys hanging uh, when it comes to covering this team during training camp. So I, I made time every day this week to make sure that I stepped aside and, and put together the podcast and got it out for you guys. But I apologize because my daughter hasn't went to sleep yet, and she's been kind of running around in the hallway outside the room that I'm recording in. And so if there's been any background noise, uh, just understand that uh, these dynamics this week created some challenges here to get the podcast done this week. But it was kind of nice. I mean, we're we're pretty much out here for a week, and we've got plenty of family here, my in-laws, my wife, a couple of close friends, and you know their baby boy. So it's been a really good week. We've had a lot of fun. But I'm not going to lie, I have really enjoyed – the 60 to 90 minutes every day where I kind of go away and get dialed into the Buffalo Bills and do the podcast. So um, I don't like to work on vacation, but I mean, this doesn't feel like work. And it was good to have some me time on vacation as well. The Bills practice on Friday at 10 a.m. There's a scrimmage on Saturday, so we'll have a lot to cover here on Monday for the podcast. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great weekend, and I look forward to catching up with you again on Monday.